Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. Today we're talking all things Cloud Kitchen with Kitch. We're joined by the CEO, Walid Hajj, uh, an award-winning entrepreneur with more than two decades of hands-on e expertise in the F&B-related businesses. Walid co-founded Kitch in 2020, so last year, further revolutionizing the kitchen in the cloud concept. So Kitch, for you, those of you who don't know yet, is a hybrid delivery-focused cloud kit kitchen uh, and premium storefront operator. They also, they take... Uh, digitization and fast execution of F&B concepts to a new level. Uh, their tech integrated deli delivery only kitchens offers operators state of the art avenues to test new markets or scale their food delivery and customer reach with minimal investment. So really interesting concept that we'll dip into. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about on the show today, the story of Kitch, how it came about, um, the whole kind of industry around kitchen in, in the clouds, uh, in the industry, and then what does the future look like post COVID? Welcome, Willie. Thanks, Thanks for Richard. coming. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, so yeah. So uh, how 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 are you getting on? How have you coped with the pandemic? <laughs> well, we 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 actually founded the company in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> so uh, the idea of Kitch came about in uh, January this year. Uh, Last year, 2020. 2020. Yeah. yeah sorry, 2020. And uh, so basically, you know, we we wanted to start, uh, you know, look at the trends and see what's going on. And during the pandemic, during the lockdown, this idea actually became more and more attractive. Uh, so just to tell you what the idea is and, and what we are trying to do, uh, Kitch is basically a cloud kitchen operator, predominantly a cloud kitchen operator. But the way that we look at the industry <clears throat> is that we are looking at, you know, what is the future of this industry? Where is, what's the vision of, of the you know, restaurant business? And mm -hmm. I've been you know, in this business for 20 years, yeah. seen it evolve over the years. But really, it's been stagnant. I mean, there hasn't been a disruption, so to speak, in the last, at least as far as I know it, for the last 20, 25 years. Yeah. You know, there has been trends up and down, but not, nothing really disruptive. Um, until about four or five years ago, with the introduction of technology and the integration of technology into the business. And what resulted in that is all these aggregators, you know, sitting at home in your app, ordering at your yeah. convenience, getting the... The product in 15 20 minutes yeah getting it fresh getting it hot getting it you know as you like that has revolutionized the business and it has revolutionized it in a way where delivery has become more and more important and we're talking about mostly the casual dining and the fast casual sector right mm. so so that that trend was going on pre-covid and you know exponentially uh you know the the delivery aspect of or the delivery share of the pie was was increasing as well as the pie itself, because, you know, when you are sitting at home conveniently ordering food, you're going to order more, of, of, you know, more frequently and, and maybe even more items and so on. So that has, in our opinion, just created an opportunity. So earlier in 2020, we thought, you know, I had just sold my business about two, three years ago, uh, which was in the traditional brick and mortar opening stores, you know, brands like Cinnabon, Zata Rosé, Seattle's ah, okay. Best Coffee, Five Guys. So it was a hospitality company. It is a hospitality yeah. company, uh, and and we had when when I sold the business, we had hundred restaurants between Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Kuwait, and Bahrain. Uh, I think uh, I've been to a few of them, the, but the, yeah, 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 <laughs> right. And uh, so so we sold that business, and the question is, what's next? And we believe that the future is going to go more and more towards this, you know, technology integrated and technology influenced business. However, we also believe that the brick and mortar, your experience of walking into a restaurant, will always be there. Mm. You know, you're not the idea of walking into a restaurant is always going to be there. It's not going to be all virtual. So that's why, you know, like you rightly mentioned, I mean, Kitch is designed around the hybrid approach. So we're going to operate in the in the cloud, okay. like I feel now, being yeah. in the cloud. <laughs> but also we're going to operate brick and mortar concepts, actual restaurants. Yeah. 
Okay, interesting. So you you know you weren't the say the first mover in cloud yeah. kitchen, but you've looked at the and you've taken it. You've looked at industry. You looked at where we are today, and you've taken a different view on what the future holds. Exactly. So we're definitely not the first mover. This concept has been going on for for a while globally, not just mm -hmm. in the region. But the way we're looking at things, I think, is quite unique. I mean, and and the way we're creating our competitive edge, if you like. It really stems from the fact of how we see this business going forward. And like I said, I mean, we're we're not pretending that it's going to be virtual, you know, where everything is going to be in the cloud and, you know, people are going to stick to their homes and mm. stuff like that. I know it feels that way today in the pandemic, but mm. really the pandemic is eventually going to, uh, you know, be behind us. And people will go back to their natural habits. They, you know, it's natural for, for people to go out and want to see people and want to interact and be outside and change from their home setting. Especially around foods. Especially yeah. around food because it's a social, it's a mm. social thing. So we're going to, you know, I think that trend is going to come back. But we also believe that technology is, is here to stay. Yeah. Uh, the fact that delivery is going to be a big part of the business is, is here to stay. Yeah. And when you <clears throat> spoke at the start, Waleeds, and you introduced this concept as the F&B sector hadn't been disrupted by digital uh, big shift. Yeah. Um, I didn't hear that uh, notion before. So it's actually quite surprising that uh, we talk of disruption in media, in uh, travel, in finance, in different areas. Um, and then to, to take it a step further, if the part that was disrupted, which is the delivery, which actually isn't in the food, it's interesting that that part now is coming back. Right. And that that has kind of led the further kind of uh, consideration of, uh, you know, how does the, the delivery part now uh, meet the the new behavior trends? But how does that impact what a kitchen looks like? Right. Um, is that is that how you see it or, or do, do you think that different parts of F&B are being disrupted by technology um, in different ways? So so technology has been introduced into the F&B sector, into the restaurant sector in specific. For a very long time, I mean, you know, automation in the in the back of the okay. house, you know, uh, ability to uh, to govern your CRM and manage your customer relations and all this the technology has always been there. However, you know, to me, when I say disruption, it's more than yeah, yeah it's more than just getting a system into the place or having you know automation. It's it's really disruptive in the way that it changed consumer behavior. Yeah. And, you know, I think Steve Jobs once said that, you know, don't ask customers what they want. They don't know what they want. We'll tell them what yeah. they want. And this technology aspect, and particularly the delivery aggregators, have really sort of imposed, if you like, this disruption and imposed this major change and shift in the sense that, you know, the aggregators came in and said, you want more delivery. You are going to take more delivery and, and you know, be frequent in the delivery. And as a result, uh, you know, we're offering you this technology. So, and as a result, you know, customers and restaurants and and so on will will, you know, come come on board. Yeah. And that's what we we've seen. So the the technology has, I think, I I agree with your point about maybe the the restaurant business and the restaurant industry is probably the last to be disrupted by technology. But I think until until that time. You know, technology was playing a role, but we didn't know what you know. How do we take technology mm. and 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 disrupt the industry until the aggregators came, I, you know, with, you know, have to give them full credit. And I was one of those people, you know, in the, in the traditional business who resisted these aggregators because from a financial perspective, you know, we don't want to share our margins with anyone, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, and it's a, it's a major share. So for us, that was, that was the, the tough part as an operator. Mm. However, really, and until today, a lot of people look at this as, an, as, a, as a threat, the mm. aggregators being, you know, taking a big part of the, the portion of your margins. But really, when you think about it, it's an opportunity. Because, you know, if I always keep saying that restaurants can actually benefit from this trend by growing faster. Today, mm. you do not, if you, if you cover, let's say, JLT in a restaurant, with a restaurant, if you're a restaurant operator and you cover JLT in, a, in an area in Dubai, if you want to go somewhere else, traditionally what you have to do is go and build a brick and mortar business, spend a lot of money and wait a long period of time. Mm. Today, you don't have to do that. You go to a cloud kitchen operator, you plug in immediately and within a week you're up and running and and anyway most of your business was going to be delivery so you know you don't need that storefront you don't need that customer facing mm. um uh you know uh, you know presence yeah um and and that is an opportunity 
I mean, Actually. yes, it is. It, if you look at the financials and say today I'm paying X percent to an aggregator mm. and that is hurting my bottom line, it's true. But if you look at the big picture, it's an opportunity for growth. Interesting. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that because you do hear the resistance. You still hear it. I was watching a piece of segment on a famous delicatessen in, in New York, Cats. Yeah. You know, the, you know yeah. the one? Yeah. And they, they talked now after the pandemic and they said they went delivery and even still they're resisting. Yes. The, the and, and I thought, you know, I kind of tried to compare it to media and we see what's happening with media, with Facebook and Google and Australia. And uh, the ones that embraced it, like say New York Times embraced Facebook, but yes. did a metered paywall. And they are actually the 10th biggest brand in the world advertiser on Facebook. Mm. And they've also by far the most subscribers in the world right. on their paywall because they, they treat it as utility. Right. And, uh, you know, I don't understand the F&B industry, but if, like you described it as an opportunity, you know, apples for apples, the margin, it's tough. Yes. It must be tough. Yes. But but do you think the ones that, um, like like you have done, uh, that do bricks and mortar with this new utility can prosper? I, I think exactly right. I think this is the right combination. This is the right mix between the two. And I, you know, I, I'd like to tell you a funny story if you allow me. I mean, you know, I worked on the Five Guys franchise from yeah. the United States yeah. for a very long time. And then in 2016, we managed to get the franchise. We opened stores and wow. so on. And I remember after we signed our franchise deal, and Five Guys is one of those very specialized yeah. companies. You know, they only have burgers and fries. That's it. And they, they, you know, they, you know, everything they do is focused on that. Yeah. So, uh, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but I remember listening to the How I Built This. Fight. Yes, uh, yes. I love that series with, with, with Jim Morrell. Uh, Jerry yeah. Morrell. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Guy Raz does How I Built This. Right, but, right. Uh, but they, yeah, and they actually said that, uh, they, well, it's interesting you did Five Guys because their first franchise, the first second store, yes. only came after 17 years. Yes, exactly. It's fascinating. Exactly. Yeah, so and and it's funny experience. because that, that guy who was on, on the show, Jer oh. Jerry Morrell, he's oh, the founder okay. of the company. He's the father of the five guys, <laughs> you know, his kids. Yeah. But when I, you know, after we signed, I went to him in, the, in their office in Virginia. And wow. we're doing a tour and we're talking and stuff. And he said, and he's a very, very interesting character. I learned so much from him. And, and he asked me a trick question. And at that time, I didn't know him well. So I didn't know he tricked. He, <laughs> he does. And he said, well, what do you think of delivery? Uh, wow. and, and we're talking about 2016, 15, 16. I said, listen, I mean, I believe in delivery. I think it's the future. You know, our, our, our um, communities love it. And I think we should definitely embrace it and so on. And he goes, yeah. And he listened to me for like two minutes. And then he said, well, Five Guys doesn't deliver. And we'll never okay. deliver. And I was like, okay. And he said, but... Uh, let me tell you a story. And I said, okay. He said, when we first opened our first store in, in Alexandria, Virginia, they opened it right next to the Pentagon. It's close to the Pentagon. It's a small hole in the wall. That was amazing. the first store. Amazing burgers, amazing reviews, line out the door. And then he said, I'm sitting in a store one day and I get a call. And the call's, you know, from some someone from the Pentagon. I picked up the phone. I said, good afternoon. It's five guys. <laughs> and the other line went, uh, yes, hi, this is Admiral so-and-so from the Pentagon. He said, yes, sir. <laughs> he said, I'd like a delivery of, I don't know, 20 burgers and 15 fries or something. And he goes, I'm sorry, sir, but we don't deliver. So the Admiral said, well, I don't know if you understand me correctly, sir, but this is Admiral <laughs> so-and-so from the five guys from the Pentagon, and I'd like a delivery. He said, well, we don't deliver, and he hung up on it. No. And then the next day, he put a big sign, and he showed me a picture of it, a big sign that says, we absolutely don't deliver on the oh, store. No way. You know, fast forward 15 years or whatever, 20 years, yeah. or whatever. Today, they delivery is a big portion of their business. They adapted to it. They accepted to it. But the, the original notion that was that, you know, the experience is what makes Five Guys different. We want people to come in. Even if they take a takeaway, that's fine. But at least I want them to come into the store, stand in line, have the free peanuts, you know. Yeah. This thing has changed. And the way that consumer behavior has changed. And if Five Guys were stuck on their old ways, they would definitely be hurt today. So adapting and changing is, is extremely important. That's a fascinating story. Well, of course, they also didn't do franchise and then right. they did that. But right. it's very interesting to hear delivery as uh, something that came up in that, yeah. in that funny story, but it's something that came up before the, the aggregators, as yeah. we call them. Yes. Yes. And people always had to think about it. Uh, so that's amazing. So, uh, so if you were doing the franchise business now, right? Uh, in twenty sixteen, 
how would Kitch support that, or what are the services that Kitch does? If it, uh, yeah, if you can explain. So, so, so we we're actually doing that. We're actually doing the franchise business, if you like, version two point mm. And it, you know, the way we're going about it is we're going to, you know, hot brands around the world, brands that we think will fit in our region, and going to them and saying, listen, we are in the business of developing this brand, right? And the way we're developing it today is different than when we used to develop it 15 or 18 years ago. And the way we're developing it today is with a major focus on delivery and a major focus on cloud kitchen. So I'd like to take your franchise and place it predominantly in our kitchens. And when necessary and when applicable, we'd like, we'll open the brick and mortar, mm. but it's not going to be a brick and mortar focused business. In mm. other words, if I take a five guys, you know, uh, whatever, 10 years ago when we signed the franchise, it was a 40-store deal in Saudi Arabia, for yeah. example, right? Okay. Today, we're saying, you know, if I do a similar deal, I would say, no, it's a three-store deal, physical store deal, mm. and maybe 100 cloud kitchen deal. Wow. Because the penetration and the speed that I can, you know, penetrate the, the market through the cloud kitchen is much easier than penetrating and much cheaper than penetrating through actually building stores. Mm. And this is really, and at the end, you know, you're going to build a store which is going to have 60% delivery anyway. So why spend all that money and why have that huge cap uh, OPEX, operational expenses and, and so on, while you can quickly penetrate the market in other ways. And could the store come at the same time in some cases? Yes, we're doing that actually. You know, as we're speaking, I mean, we're going to announce next week a franchise deal that we signed with the Lebanese brand. Which uh, is? Uh, <laughs> next week. Okay. <laughs> well, but, but it's... Um, it's a, it's a very famous, yeah. very old street food brand, the number one in, in Lebanon. And what we're doing is we're do, doing exactly that. We're developing them simultaneously. So we'll do, we're doing the cloud kitchen development. So we're putting them in our kitchens. But at the same time, we're opening an actual physical store actually very close to where we are here. Ah, interesting. So, I, yeah, I heard about this in terms of a similar story that you mentioned about the, the deals per store, per country, yeah. that big brands, big multinational uh, franchise companies are changing their entry to markets now. Yes. Instead of say five hundred stores in India, they're doing you know this sort of analogy. Um, well, does that lend itself to different types of brands? Uh, firstly, for yeah. you guys, yeah. and then secondly, uh, how do you if you're a legacy business that has projections uh, and you have you know a business model that you know the uh, customer value or the metrics that are used, how do you change that narrative? How do you kind of communicate to the market? How do you kind of manage those expectations? Let me tell you, Richard, I think the the shift of a sort of, uh, you know, an old kind of business is going to be, is, is very tough. Because if you take a business that has, you know, I'm talking about an existing business that has 500 restaurants in any market, and now you're going to have to switch them to, you know, to try half, to be half-half half or, or even try to, um, you know, accommodate the growth to be mostly in cloud, it's going to be difficult because you already have the assets, you already mm -hmm. have the, the investment. But I think there are many creative ways of doing it. And I'll, I'll give you some that we're actually considering and some of the opportunities that we're looking at. So, you know, if you have a, an existing business, let's call it a Virgin 1.0, and you have a lot of assets and a lot of storefronts and so on, and those storefronts, the economics are not making sense anymore. One of these, one of the ways of dealing with this is to really convert them into cloud right. kitchens. Yeah. So you have a physical location as one brand. Today, you know, let it be facing, customer facing with one brand. But in the back, you can plug in two or three or four or five or whatever, depending on the size of the store, and make it a, a delivery hub for other brands. I think this is the way to go, and this is the key to, to move forward. The problem is, well, the problem, I know, the, and the opportunity at the same time. But, you know, a lot of the franchise uh, owners, if you're talking about the franchise business now, globally, know and realize this this new trend and understand this is the way to go forward. And, you know, from me even talking to a lot of companies that I talked to maybe two years ago about the potential and the possibility of getting into the Middle East, for example, you know, their view has changed. They've become more realistic. You know, mm. in, initially they would say, no, we want X number of stores. Today they're realizing the trend and understanding the opportunity, the opportunity, because really you can penetrate the market much faster, get the exact volumes that you used to get, less investment, more profit, and better penetration speed. Mm. Interesting. So does every, we're talking about franchise, but does every business have these decisions to make? And would Kitch... Uh, also do consultancy in terms of you know there's so many different approaches now like some might 
you know, some brands who've got big space could operate as a cloud kitchen. They can launch their own sub brands. Yeah. It's like it's like when the when the aggregators were coming, uh, some built up their own apps as well yes. and did right, delivery, right, right, and did one or the other, and now they can do both. Like, do you think that you, you know, would you have exclusivity with these brands, or uh, how yeah. can you help? So, so the way you know the way that kitchen is, is designed to operate because the the cloud kitchen model has a variety of ways of executing it. It goes from being a real estate play where mm. you know you have the the kitchens and you're just renting them out to third party and getting rents. That's one aspect of it or one one uh, part of the, the the spectrum. And the other part is no, you know, you operate your own brands. We believe in kitchen. We believe that the consistency and the viability and the sustainability of the business relies on the brands. Mm. You know, I, I'm not interested in a real estate business. I'm, okay. I'm interested in building brands, associating myself with, myself with brands. And when I say that, it means a lot of things. It means we can create our own brands, both virtual brands or virtual slash physical brands. It means also franchise deals, looking at ability to franchise. And when we talk about franchise, it's definitely exclusive. Because at the end of the day, if you, I mean, we're talking about international brands who want to come in. Yeah, I, I think the idea of taking a market like Saudi Arabia or the UAE in the Gulf, you really need to have this exclusivity to be able to, you know, put all the scale behind it and and, and investment behind it to be able to grow it. So yes, exclusivity. I'm, you know, I'm personally and us as Kitch are huge uh, believers in the power of brands. And we don't care if it makes money day one or day two or day 100. Mm. At the end of the day, we execute to the best of our abilities. And eventually, you know, the money thing will, will come in as a yeah. byproduct. Yeah, interesting. Um, I wanted to ask about the franchise and your experience. I know we've talked about it about a lot, but just technically we'll lead on for people who know of cloud-based brands that don't have bricks and mortar, that yeah. appear in their aggregator app. Yeah. And they might uh, be designed just for that search term like burger yeah. or chicken. Yeah. Uh, people might understand what type of kitchen that comes from. Right. But for people traditionally, um, I'm imagining my mum, who who is a chef and had a few businesses in that space, what would her kitchen look like? She still needs to be the main person in that kitchen. Right. So how can that, so how many, for a kitchen, how many uh, chefs can you have? How many kind of concepts can you have? And how big is the cloud kitchen? So again, the, the model has to be decentralized. So every kitchen has to have, you know, I don't know about chef service, you know, the way we're set up is not, we're not gonna create chefs yeah. and them sitting there and creating brands, although that's one viable way of doing okay. it. However, the way we look at it is that we want associations and we want partnerships with people who can create brands, mm. you know, whether it's franchise or people, you know, there are so much talent in this, in this region. I mean, you know, we, we talked earlier before the show about the, the talents in Saudi. Yeah. If you go to Saudi today, the amount of restaurants, homegrown restaurants, not yeah. franchise, forget franchise. Yeah. Just homegrown brands is phenomenal. And it's all impressive in branding and food quality and creativeness. I mean, I'm really sort of, it's, it's mesmerizing. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. So you, you take this talent, you bring it into your cloud. And you partner with them where it's a win-win. You know, they develop their brand. We offer the, the ability for them to grow and scale because they don't have that anyway. This is the new age. This yeah. is the way that to develop brands going forward. Yeah. So your, your mom has to adapt her, her <laughs> kitchen and her chef and her yeah. everything. So. Well, I think in that scenario, I totally understand how you explained it. And that would have helped her reach yeah. a different part of the country. Um, and I totally get it from that. I think I was thinking more from a... Mm -hmm. uh, Say say uh, McDonald's or say Al Bake, yeah. they have a process, um, and even if they don't have a main chef, I, I actually did an internship stint, not an internship, it was a full time job in McDonald's in Germany, right. um, in Regensburg outside Munich, uh, and the owner is an American guy, and he had seven McDonald's, mm -hmm. and uh, mainly for drive through near the BMW garages, garages and stuff like that. Right. But it was a fascinating experience, and we we saw I saw behind. The, it was like a game to kind of, you know, three Big Macs, three Fish Macs and stuff like that. And you had to look at the different numbers and the silver arrows, like so they right. would be thrown out after 15 minutes. Right. It was so processed. Right. Um, is that how your kitchen will work? Or do you create your own process that helps all the brands? Or do you adapt what's been working for them? So it's a mixture of both. You see the, the, the kitchens themselves physically, it's a, it's a huge kitchen with sub-kitchens inside it. 
So the brands would occupy some of those kitchens. Okay, right? fair enough. And then the the overall kitchen, the infrastructure has a lot of shared services. Yeah. So, you know, we would have warehousing, we'd be able to do all the uh, processing of the actual physical order, you know, once it's created, taken out from that particular brand, put in the dispatch area, waiting for the delivery person to come and pick it up and take it forward. So it's, it's a mixture of both. But I strongly believe, because this, you know, I, I've also, uh, we have a business in Saudi Arabia that deals with McDonald's on the distribution side. Yes. And I've done a lot of training in McDonald's. They're, they're an absolute school. You know, you learn so much from them. Yeah. And there is a lot of value in systemizing and, and you know, making structures in place. And we have to have that. And this is, again, where technology comes in. Okay. You know, how does it help you? How does it take, you know, a process and makes it? Uh, in a way where it's replicable mm -hmm. because the, the the name of the game here is scale right you're not here just to build one kitchen and, and sit on it the idea is to build 100 kitchens and, and how can you have concept x being kitchen number one and kitchen number 100 in the same quality and the same structure mm -hmm. it's all about systems and, and data and this is again where technology can be helped interesting so that that's part of your roadmap for how you're building out the kitchen yes absolutely and and you know the other aspects that we you know we need to talk about as well and it has to be mentioned in this context is is uh, uh, data you know we we talk about technology in a, in a big way to me 90 percent of technology in my mind is all about data it's all about information and i keep saying this you know every single delivery by an aggregator um, you know, if, if you're sitting at home ordering a pizza, that delivery, that order has 3,000, close to 3,000 data points. Oh, wow. So imagine, you know, what time you ordered, how long it took, you know, what did you actually view before you ordered the pizza? How much did you spend this time compared to last time? Mm. All this information is, is a wealth, is a treasure of information that if, if you know, processed right with the right technology, with the right AI, with the right eyes of actual humans to look into mm. this, a lot of decisions can be made out of it. What products to place where, you know, what price point, how fast people want, you know, all this information mm -hmm. is important. And this is where technology comes into play. True, interesting. That actually leads into nicely into what I was going to ask in terms of how do you spot trends? And um, <laughs> I tried uh, Veganuary and I was looking, I was surprised at how many plant-based options were on the aggregators that are very interesting but i was wondering like you know are they seeing mentions on social media are they seeing you know dubai now has demand for this or, right. or are they actually looking at, at data like you mentioned and uh you know you've had a good eye for creating brands and bringing brands in how much of it is ha having a creative sort of having a gut feeling, yeah. no yeah. pun intended, but uh, like having a taste feeling or kind of looking at those trends, the market is ready for this type of. So, so I, I think you raise a very, very important point. And I think, you know, I personally, and this could be right, could be wrong, but it worked for me. Uh, I strongly believe in, in gut feel. Uh, as an entrepreneur, as someone who knows this industry, and this gut feel is not something that you were, you know, you develop overnight. It comes with experience, right? So the uh, you know we get I get exposed to a lot of concepts a lot of ideas from all over the world when you travel when you see different things, and when you see something you know your gut will tell you from experience this will work in our region or not yeah but we have to like it I have to like it as a consumer first and foremost so that's that's definitely a, a very important uh, aspect of choosing brands the other thing is you know we talked again about data you know right. I mean what is the data telling you we are going to drive everything that we do with, with data. But again, consumers don't always tell you what they want, let yeah. alone they don't even know what they want. Yeah. So this is where creativity and also risk taking. Mm. You have to be bold. You have to, you know, sort of go against the crowd sometimes. And if the trend tells you X, sometimes you do Y because you believe in it. And you, you know, you've been in this industry and understand the industry so much that you know that there's market for, for mm. that. And the aggregators are the best examples because when they came up, everybody said they're going to fail because, you know, Who's, who, who are they to come and charge me 15, 20%, 30% or whatever it is? I'm never going to deal with them. Yeah. And, you know, they came at a time and, and you know, specifically in our experience, we had Zatar Uzaid, uh, and Zatar Uzaid delivery back in 2000 and between 2006 all the way to 2010 was the leading delivery platform mm. in Dubai, for example. And you did really well on adopting Facebook and all these yes. things. And yes, yeah. so we incorporate, but even from an, a, a physical presence, I mean, we, we had the higher, the biggest fleet, we had a, an okay. amazing call center, we had a great system, 
but we were doing it exclusively for Zatarus 8, and we were we were the leader, wow. you know, delivery aggregator, delivery uh, platform. But of course, it, it wasn't our intention. I mean, it was a support service. Yeah. So at a that cost time, center, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a center. So at the at the end of the day, you know, the aggregators came in and said, "We're going to do the service for you, but we're going to charge you twenty five percent." And we say, "No, you're not. We're not <laughs> going to we're not going to work with you." So you know, this resistance. Mm. But you know, from the perspective of the aggregators and their founders and the people behind it, is a perfect example of how you know you believe in something, you see it, you go after it, and you and you get it through because yeah. they've proven their, themselves and they've taken over the, the world. Really. Yeah, and a lot of them executed well. Uh, yes. Like it's that's really important when you're either uh, growing a one concept or a franchise. You know, uh, is the execution how important is it? Uh, do you have any principles that you follow, or or how do you so scale? It's it's funny you say that because we just finalized our guiding principles okay. at Kitch yesterday, and execution and excellence. We call it excellence and execution is at the core of that. Mm. We believe in execution as the success factor first and foremost, first and last. Mm. You have to execute to the best of your abilities, and and this is you know again going back to talking about the kitchen, the, the cloud kitchen industry. And the fact that, yes, we're not the only players, but there are so many. Mm. You know, a lot of people have looked at this as a technology business. And I believe it is, right? I mean, the kitchen, the cloud kitchen is sort of in a technology business, you know, data, automation, and, and, and so on. But people sometimes lose track of the core competence in this, which is we are in the food business. Sure. You're delivering food. You know, mm. you're sitting at home getting your order. You don't care what technology went behind it. You want your food, yeah. you know, tasty, yummy, hot, whatever. If you don't get that, you're never going to order again, you're, no matter what technology is behind it. So, and this is what differentiates us. You know, I have been in this business for 25 years. You know, I, I've developed brands, I've developed restaurants, and, and the team around me is all about food. Mm. Yes, technology is at the core of it. And yes, technology, if you say you're in the in the technology business, you 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 immediately imply higher valuations and yeah. <laughs> better metrics valuations. Yeah. But we really, this is not our focus. And that's why we remained private in our fundraising. Hmm. We didn't go out to the market and raise funds. We 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 had just myself and my partner raising money hmm. between the two of us because we don't want any pressures on valuations. Hmm. We believe valuation is going to come, it's but come. It's, it's not now. We yeah. want to execute first, execute you know, approve business, and then have the right foundation to grow. Yeah, interesting. So yeah, you might be a horizontal, and then with this way with food and technology. You can create your own narrative around the valuation, right. and you can do it in that way. Have you disclosed uh, the investment that's going yes. into this? Yes, sure. So, so we have we've raised fifteen million dollars currently, uh, uh, you know, under our disposal, and and that will take us through probably the end of the year, hmm. and then uh, even second phase of funding is going to continue to be private. Okay, um, and will that will it be a seed or a Series A then? Yeah, it's a, no, it'll be a seed. Yeah, and and that will take us again probably for another six to twelve months. Hmm. At one point, we have to go to market. We have to raise funds from the market. But really, what we're trying to do is making sure that we have a solid proof of concept that we're not selling, you know, just an idea. Hmm. We're not selling efficiency. You know, we're we're selling an actual concept that proves itself or has proven at least partially. Uh, the, the viability of the of the economic model. Yeah. At that time, I think we we everybody will be better off. The investors will be more comfortable. We will be more comfortable, and we would have already we will have already established the foundation for the right business. And again, it, it really what you mentioned is is at the core of Kitch's core core competences, which is excellence in execution. Execution, interesting. Um, just to understand your business more, and maybe I'll frame it in terms of how the funds are allocated. Yeah. Uh, how much of this is how do aggregators work with the cloud kitchen do you have your own proprietary tech and then how much of that how much of it are you building physical cloud physical cloud kitchen <laughs> so so uh, so most of the uh, most of the funds uh, being raised is going to go towards capital expenditure and building this kitchen the actual yeah. physical building of those kitchens we also, like we said, you know, we, we believe in the technology aspect of this. So we're investing hugely in the technology, you know, with partnerships, investment, investing in partners that have already something that mm. we can work with, aligning ourselves with them and, and building the technology. 
the the idea of um, you know getting partnerships again is at the core of our competences and, mm -hmm. and the ability to get them both from a aggregator perspective or from a technology perspective running the back of our house mm -hmm. is also important. The aggregators, the way we deal with this is that you know again we really like to forge relationships. You know, I don't mind dealing with aggregators that add value that, you know, show us that we can work together and work exclusively with them, mm. you know, either, either temporarily or on a, on a long-term basis, as long as it's a win-win. And I think, you know, given the, the sort of the environment that we're living in today in terms of the aggregators, competition and stuff like that, and also the expansion, I mean, just drive today on any road in Dubai and you can see all these uh, aggregator uh, delivery guys going yeah. all over. I mean, it's it's massive, right? True. So we want, you know, aligning yourself and making partnerships, I think, is, is also very important. Interesting. And in terms of scale and speed of that allocation with the, you mentioned it earlier that it's not a real estate it's a play, it's a brand play. Are there, are there quick wins in terms of partnerships or do you have to construct from scratch? especially with um, in the in the COVID era that we're in, in terms of commercial real estate space, that yeah. is there is there something smart you can do with a, a partnership that can allow you to be in uh, places faster? Yeah, and, and, and this is exactly actually what what I did, because I've I've partnered um, in Saudi Arabia with a major real estate player. So my partner, Fahad al-Hakir, okay. who's a great friend as well. But they are a, a major player in the real estate. Uh, they're they're not just adding you know uh, added value in terms of funding, but they're also adding a lot of value to our business by yeah. opening real estate doors for us and having the ability to give us access to wherever we want to go. So these these kind of partnerships is what I'm talking about. And there's are they investors? They're strategic partnership that yes. allow you to scale fast. Yeah, well. so they're they're a major Amazing. shareholder in, yeah. in this business. They're a majority Smart. shareholder, and yeah. they, you know it's a win-win for us. They they believe in this in this model. They believe in Kitch, and you know this is their number one priority uh, company right now. Brilliant. Oh kind of trying to understand it all, but making yeah. sense now. <laughs> and before we talk about the future, I just want to go back to the sort of gut feeling and picking brands, because yeah. I think consumers will be quite excited about that. A lot of people, you know, make comments of the trend is going to reach here at a certain phase. It starts here, say in the US. And um, what, what's your view on that? I've just uh, given a, a, an example. I remember uh, barbecue, like chicken wings and barbecue places in London. And when I was in Dublin, uh, we didn't have, uh, I was 25, uh, Ali, and I'd never had a, a <laughs> I'm talking to a producer, I never had a burrito, right? <laughs> and um, I'll tell you a funny story. Really. I moved to London, uh, I think it was, yeah, tw 2010, so mm -hmm. I was 27. Moved to London and uh, I'd never had a burrito and I was working in a social media agency. And we went to a, a, a festival, a Twitter festival. I won a year's supply of Chilango's burritos. Okay. I never had a burrito. And I met Eric Partaker, uh, kind of a charismatic American uh, Norwegian guy, and uh, met him in a bar with his kid and his marketing lady. And they gave me uh, a bag full of... Uh, 365 vouchers for, okay, for the whole year. For the whole year. Uh -huh. And these were, I think they were eight pounds sterling, eight or nine pounds sterling. So 10 or $12, um, probably in weight as well. As, <laughs> but, and I went and he wrote out a recipe and I went up and I ordered a burrito. And um, I was in a social media agency and I tweeted out, uh, people were saying, who can I be your best friend, Frida boy? <laughs> and then I was DMing. You became popular, yeah. <laughs> and I was DMing some girls. Say, well, if you want, if you want some vouchers, <laughs> let's go for a day. And I walked down Shoreditch, uh, Brick Lane, and they were selling these Mexican masks. And I bought one of them, Nacho Libre, and I put up a website, fifty-two-burrito-dates.com, <laughs> and okay. uh, every, every day, every week on Wednesday for fifty-two weeks, I dated a different. <laughs> burrito babe <laughs> and he supported it and he gave uh they had we had a burrito babe party they made t-shirts <laughs> oh, it was Chilango, you know uh so it was amazing but um and they, they pushed it out and it was a, it was a burrito story right but i never had burritos and it uh, and it, it just reminded me of like that was a trend right. right that was a thing um and i was wondering why don't they open here why don't they open yeah. Chilango here yeah. 
But um, yeah, anyway, let's <laughs> back to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but so, uh, but yeah, but that is that that was my exposure to kind of trends that yeah. are big in one market, not in another. And yeah. why do you think that happens? Why do you think that that might be big in London and not here, for example? So, you know, in the past, uh, there are different tastes, different consumer behavior and habits, and, and they differ from country to country. And even within a country, I mean, if you go in different parts of Saudi Arabia, some of the habits in the, in the east are different than the west and the central region. But, you know, more and more, from my experience, more and more, you're seeing this convergence of habits and, and ways of consuming, uh, you know, in our industry, consuming food and, and taste of food from mm. all over the world. Mm. What works, I mean, you know, again, I'll give you an example on Five Guys because my experience with, with that brand has been phenomenal. You know, when we opened Five Guys in Riyadh, um, five six years ago it was first of all it was the biggest five guys in the world really out of 1500 stores it continued to be the biggest grossing as well in terms of sale really uh for yeah number one in the world for a very long time until i think paris uh Champs-Élysées store came on but the thing is you know we opened at 10 o'clock in the morning i remember being there with my wife it was a weekday 10 o'clock in the morning and, and not many things would open at that time. Not <laughs> many things were open at that time. And we don't serve breakfast, mind okay. you. It's just uh, burgers, right? Uh, cool. And the line was out the door. And we did zero advertising. You know, so you talk about the power of brand and the power of globalization. Because how would, uh, you know, your typical Saudi line up in front of a five guys to eat a burger, which is not a Saudi product, right? It's an American, all-American product. It's the power of the brand. People have seen it in the UK, have seen it on, more importantly, on social media. Yeah. And we did zero advertising and people were lining up literally for two, three hours for a good two, three weeks. You know, that was the trend just to get a burger. Meanwhile, while they're waiting, you know what they're doing? They're posting pictures on their Instagram and doing advertising yeah. for us. Yeah. So, you know, the power of brand, the power of globalization and the ability to have. Yes, there are trends. I agree in different parts of the world. And, you know, sometimes it fits in certain markets. Sometimes it didn't. But if you step back and look at the big picture, the world is really becoming one. And the power of social media, despite you know all the thing, negative things that can come out of it, it really has has united the world and and has created you know you you're sitting here looking at the opening of you know whatever five guys in Mexico mm. right you're sitting in Saudi before five guys came on and you, and you say it. wow I can't wait for five guys to open in Riyadh and when it opens you line up. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal power. And then when they open the next one, you go there as well. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, they'll go there if your product is good. Yeah. This, you know, I mean, you have the brand that will give you the immediate mm. uh, uh, push. But if your product and again, your execution and your excellence in execution is not there at one point, this is not sustainable. Okay. So at the end of the day, again, in the food business, you have to be you have to execute well. Interesting. Uh, on that point about execution, <clears throat> because we're in a digital world and yeah. Uh, with data and it's a lot about iterating and making decisions based on feedback and things like that. How perfect does your product have to be? Can you make mistakes um, in a in a cloud world now? You can. I mean, mistakes will happen. And and what we tell our people is, don't be afraid to try. Don't be afraid to take risks because that's where you sort of you know have a breakthrough idea. Mm. But I I think the more training that you have, the more structure that you have. The ability to you know sort of systemize everything and and within an organization and this applies to food or non-food any any business in the world the less the mistakes happen but i you know i'd like to differentiate between between mistakes and making a burger and putting you know in, in five guys training they tell you where to put the mustard and where to put the ketchup you know is it at the bottom bun or the top bun okay so you know these things you can you can train but also i want to differentiate between making a mistake and ability to think out of the box you know, everyone that we hire in the organization and when I meet them, I really look for creativity and ability to think out of the box. This is this is how you can create value. You know, we're not robots, robots. You know, at the end of the day, we want people to think, what is the next big thing? Even if you're you're a you're a line operator in a in a restaurant, you don't have to be the CEO of a company. Mm. Even if you're a line operator, in fact, I would argue the line operator has better access to ideas than the CEO because they're in touch. With, with the product and in touch with the people. Yeah. We want to empower these people to make sure that they understand what they're doing and, and how we can, mm -hmm. uh, what's the next big thing. Interesting. Um, when a lot of the time we were talking about picking brands, yeah. I guess maybe it's my fault, but I just assumed it was an existing brand or a new concept yeah. that will be bricks and mortar that you 
that you scale. Um, you know, there are chicken brands and burger brands that are only clouds. Yes. Do you do the opposite with them? Do you spot that and say, okay, well, you need more. You you have more. your own cloud kitchen. You need many cloud kitchens and you could potentially have a physical space. Is that what Kitch does as well? Absolutely. So so this is exactly what we do. And, mm. and it also depends on the concept and depends on the category. Because some categories would, you know, would not require a physical store. Some categories would, you know, you take pizza, for example. Pizza is, you know, 70, 80% is delivery. You know, you don't have people, not anymore. You know, they used to maybe go out and have a pizza, but today pizza is a highly deliverable product. Mm. Some others like casual dining, American diners, you know, whatever, you know, other concepts that you can think about, they would require you to, to go and have the experience. So with those kind of concepts, you really need the physical uh, store and the physical experience. And sometimes the flagship, you know, because... Yes, we're we're in a, a digital media age, and yes, you can be influenced by you know an ad you see on Instagram, and you can order from that restaurant just because of that ad. You like the product, and you become a, a consumer for life without actually a physical store. But also, sometimes you need the flagship. Sometimes you need to see the brand. You need to physically understand the experience before you order. So you know it's a it's a balance that you have to uh, you have to run going forward. Interesting. So a couple of questions around the future. One is the high end. Uh, luxury restaurants, the fine dining. Uh, what do you think, Willie, in, in terms of how are they being disrupted? Of course, there's the pandemic and it's difficult times for them. But do you think that they're part of this cloud kitchen or are they, or is it possible to do delivery for them? That's a very, very smart question. And I can tell you that until now, the, the sort of um, logical answer to that is no. You know, I mean, Fine dining is fine dining. You need to go and have the experience, you know, have the, uh, the the interaction, be there. It's an experience. I would argue, though, that COVID has changed that. Um, you know, the Zoomers of the world, the LPMs of the world have started delivery during COVID and they've done phenomenally well. They mm-hmm. understood now that their product is deliverable. They understood also that people not just go there for the experience, but for also the quality of food. Mm. The question is going to become, are you able to replicate the same quality out of a cloud kitchen as you do in your main restaurant? If the answer is yes, and I would argue it is yes, then I think that's the next threat. And how would you do that? Is it more than the dish and is it more than the packaging? It's, well, I mean, in a, in a, in a delivery product, you're really going for the food, mm. right? So if you get the food right, Everything else can be designed around it. But I think first and foremost, the food has to be consistent mm-hmm. because, because the, you know, the, the brand is a double-edged sword, right? When you, when you open a Five Guys, people come in and it attracts people. So that's the upside. But the downside or the risk is that they, they know exactly what they're expecting. Mm-hmm. And if they don't get it, they won't come back again. Mm-hmm. So you have to perfect it. And, and not only perfect it in terms of quality, but perfect it in terms of consistency. Your, you know, our Five Guys in Riyadh was the same Five Guys product that you had in Virginia or in London or in, in Singapore now. So, you know, that consistency is very important also for the fine dining. If you, if you offer something and people are ordering from a Zuma delivery, they have, to, they have to have the same product. Okay. Do you draw a line then on what you would do that it's ready to eat? Uh, you know, some of the fine dining, they give you ideas of how to finish it off yeah. Uh, yeah. at home with your own uh, kitchen utensils yes, yes is that something that you think you would offer we haven't looked at that to be honest okay. i mean that's something that you know we, we look at an end product uh, yeah, uh, right. at a finished product delivered uh, and i mean i know a lot of services that uh, that will get you to you know have the ingredients and the recipe to make it at home but uh, our our kitchen will do that for you yeah you do it you do what you do well yeah um and then uh, the other side of this so the hospitality companies how do you think um, they or how have you seen that they're transitioning to this and how are you working with them? So there's the aggregators that you work with, but there's all the groups that have these well-established brands yes. that don't have cloud kitchen. How right. how are you how do you see that they've coped with this transformation? So you know, you know the saying, you know, if 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 you don't change, you get changed. And people who are not on their toes uh, in this industry and any other industry, not able to see the future, not able to adapt to the future become the you know my biggest example i i keep saying nokia you know mm-hmm. nokia was the leader in in um, mobile phones until smartphones came in and said no we're nokia you know and and where are they today you don't even see that brand anymore, sure. right so the ability to change in this in this uh, industry is is extremely important 
um, existing businesses, existing brands, hospitality companies that have you know the the ability to change, mm. that are on their toes, ready to make changes, and ready to to make sometimes even painful changes. You know, mm. closing stores and going into a kitchen is not an easy thing to do for you know a, a brick and mortar operator. But people who are able to do that are able to capture that mm. uh, that trend. How disruptive, irrespective of digital, has uh, COVID nineteen been to the hospitality and F and B sector? It's been it's been devastating. It's been devastating. I mean, you know, um, you look at restaurants that have closed down, concerts, not, not just in this region. I mean, actually more in the U.S. I think the, you know, uh, Open Table uh, has uh, issued a uh, statistics that said or expected four out of 10 restaurants in the U.S. are going to close down. Mm. It's been devastating. But again, a lot of people, there are so many success stories on how people um, adapted to this, this way, switching to kitchen, you know, building the delivery aspect and just staying afloat until this thing is over and then we can see what we can do. Yeah. I heard something in the US that one person had a kind of a bullish uh, view of when the the vaccines roll out, that the hospitality sector jobs can return. Right. And the counter argument was if the restaurants are there because um, they're closing down. Yes. Do, do you think that uh, do you think that the jobs will return and that there will be kind of a uh, return to uh you know, a healthy industry for FB? I, I think it will rebound. I think the hospitality and travel businesses ha sectors have been hit the most in, in COVID globally. Uh, I think also that they will be the first to rebound because right. people are sick and tired of sitting at home. <laughs> <laughs> they want to travel and they want to go out and eat sure. out. So I think they will they will uh, they'll recover fast. However, you know, the impact has been, you know, until today has been very, very devastating. You know, we talked earlier about, you know, COVID being very harsh on livelihoods mm. as much as lives you know i mean unfortunately a lot of people lost their lives but a lot of people also lost their livelihoods and it, which is you know devastating mm. also and and you know hopefully things will, will bounce back quickly true yeah exactly hopefully um final question around this region and as emerging market yeah. Willie, you've been a successful entrepreneur in this region you know it very well uh, what's the, and you put your capital and your energy back into the region, yeah. what's the bullish case outside of your industry for the region as an emerging market? Well, listen, I, I'll just tell you one one statistic, which is this is a very young and, and vibrant region. In Saudi Arabia, I think 60% of the population is under the age of 30. So, and, and that explains all this creativity that we talked about earlier. So I'm betting on that. I'm betting mm. on, you know, the, the I'm betting also on Saudi 2.0. You know, again, I, I, you know, I'm attached to Saudi Arabia. I lived there all my life. And I can tell you the changes I've seen there are just very, very exciting. Uh, you know, there's a major transformation that's happening and, and you know, consumers are hungry, so to speak. No <laughs> pun intended, but hungry for new ideas True. and hungry to catch up with the world. Yeah. Brilliant note to finish on. Thanks so much for your time today. Pleasure. Thank you. And Richard. we look forward to following the kids journey. Thank you. Thanks. That's it for another episode of Dubai Works. Thank you so much for listening and please leave a review on the podcast platform that you're listening to. It really helps with organic searches. Also, if you'd like to appear on Dubai Works or know someone who has an inspiring business story in Dubai, please do get in touch on any of the smashy social platforms.